0: Somebody has said that um, the uh, hard fact of life is that life is full of hard facts. And that's the truth, isn't it? Life is full of of all kinds of of challenges and surprises and tests of various kinds. And uh, in his uh, teaching to us in the very first part of this uh, amazing passage of Scripture we read in James 1, this is maybe what James is getting at when he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let me say that again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, tests, tribulations of many kinds. It's striking to me that James does not say, uh, try and have a positive attitude if you face trials. Or, or, or just in case, through some wild improbability, you face challenges and tests in your life. James is very blunt to say that it will be whenever. It will be a, a regular experience of your life that you will face trials of some kind or another. James is underlining, in a sense, here the teaching Jesus had already given to his disciples when he told the story of the, of the two house builders. These two different individuals, each of whom is building the house of their lives and each of whom has to choose a foundation for for that house and yet each of whom is is going to face a storm. There's no possibility, Jesus was saying in that parable, of ever building your house where there are not going to be storms. And, and, and the secret to, to surviving the storms, Jesus tells us in those parables, is having a strong foundation. So here James is reminding us that that we're going to face trials and storms and challenges of one kind or another. Maybe you're in that place in your life right now. I think in this connection, back to a story I first came across in a Texas newspaper, a clipping from a Texas newspaper many years ago, about a a pet owner and her parakeet chippy. Um, it seems that uh, this woman was extremely devoted to her parakeet. It was really the only child in her house, and she took tr- extremely good care of, uh, of Chippy. And, and she was always careful to make sure that Chippy had a very clean cage. And one day she was um, vacuuming the bottom of Chippy's cage with one of those canister vacuum cleaners you may have at home with long uh, hose and the tubes. And she's really careful to get up every scrap of the, of the stuff that's fallen to the bottom of the cage when the telephone rings... Now, I don't know if you're one of those people that multitasks in a busy day, but this woman was one of those people. And she reached for the phone with her left hand, and she continued to kind of work with the right hand. And she picked up the phone, and she answered the phone. And just as she's hearing the voice of the caller on the other end, she hears another sound from this end of her body, the unmistakable sound of something a bit too large going down the tube. You guessed it. Yeah, it was chippy. So, so she hangs up the phone, you know, on immediately on the on the caller, and she, in just panic, you know, she drops everything and she bends down to the vacuum cleaner, she throws it open, and she starts tearing open the vacuum cleaner bag, and sure enough, there's a little chippy in there. Have you ever heard of a parakeet coughing? You know, dust and soot all over. You know, just as she's just heartbroken. And she said, i got to help this little Chippy. And She picks up Chippy and she, she runs into the bathroom down the hallway and she turns the faucet on full blast and she sticks Chippy right underneath the faucet to clean him off. And discovering that this produces a somewhat less than desirable response from her now nearly drowned bird, she spies the hairdryer on the counter. And she grabs it and turns it on hot and raging full blast. And she blasts, chippy, you know. Well, somehow this story uh, gets told. Maybe she tells a friend. Maybe she recalls the gal that phoned in and she tells her what had happened. But the story starts moving through the social network. And it gets around town. And apparently it somehow gets to the local newspaper on a day when, I guess, news was kind of slow, So they send a reporter out to the house, you know, to find out how Chippy is. And the reporter says, you know, it sounds like he went through quite an ordeal there. I mean, is he doing okay? And the woman says, well, you know, Chippy doesn't seem all that much, you know, worse for the wear. But he just doesn't seem to sing or dance around much anymore. He just sort of sits on his perch all day and stares. How many of you have ever been chippy? (laughs) Right? You you, you just find yourself in a place where you are seriously ruffled, right? Life has come along and treated you in a way that is just desperate. You know, maybe you got sucked down the tube of some difficult transition in your life. You know, you you made a cross-country move. You went off to a college. You... uh, you, you suffered through a divorce. Uh, you saw a loved one that you totally depended upon go. And the whole predictable routine of life in your cage is just gone and you're just tumbling. You're just tumbling through change. Or, or, or maybe you find yourself just knocked off your perch uh, in your job. And, uh, you know, you're, just, you're flat on your back in the bottom of the life's cage and or, 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 or you're suffering an illness and that knocks you off the perch. Or you go through the huge financial reversal of some kind and it leaves you feeling so destabilized in one way or another. Maybe you or you, you someone you know has been seriously ill and it's played havoc with your life. Or, or perhaps you're dealing with one of those addictions. I've been there. I've been an addict in my past those addictions that, that leave you drenched with desire one second and then blown out of control the, the next. Uh, all of us, I think, if I were to go around and with a microphone and put it into your, in front of your mouth and just say, talk to me, you know, it's safe, tell, tell me. All of you would be able to tell some story of some chippy season in your life. And, and that's why I think when we, when we meet somebody who's been through those seasons and who has somehow not lost the capacity to sing or dance, it sort of pulls us up short. James, the apostle, the, the writer of the text that we're looking at today, was one of those birds. J- James had been the, um, one of the holdouts uh, when it came to believing in Jesus. He was a relative of Jesus. Uh, many of us believe James was actually Jesus' biological brother. He may have been his cousin. Either way, he was clo- they were close. And he had not bought in at the beginning to, to, to this idea that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He James, too, was expecting this big military-conquering kind of Messiah and didn't recognize the world needed a different kind of Messiah. <laughs> right? Just... I mean, just study events in the world today. Guns and arms, they don't fix stuff. It needed a different kind of Messiah. But James eventually came around to faith. And when he committed, James committed all in. And and he went on to become the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And And... The church at Jerusalem suffered incredible persecution. People were losing their jobs. They were, they were starving. They had to, there had to be collections taken up all around the rest of the, of the uh, countryside just to feed the Christians uh, in Jerusalem. James really knew what it was like to suffer. And yet, and yet, he maintains this very different orientation to life's struggles than you find in many other places. So the question I want to ask is how does he does that? How does he do this? How does this guy who is really well acquainted with loss and with uncertainty and with worry and all of these different kinds of trials, how does he go about speaking of these experiences as occasions for joy of all things? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. I think there's no way of making sense of what James says on this subject until we understand that James here in a lot of the Bible is constantly working to liberate us from one of the most uh, persevering myths that there are uh, in, in any human society. And that is this idea that joy is simply happiness with the volume turned up. How many of you think of, kind of tend to think of joy that way? I was happy, and then I was joyous, right? Happiness is here, and joy is sort of a higher version of happiness. But, but happiness and joy are radically different things, and the Bible tries to help us see that. happiness is something that comes and goes in our lives kind of like the wind. Uh, some days it's, it's blowing hard, and some days you, you know, it's just flat water in our lives. Uh, Happiness can be dictated by the weather, by our hormones, our biochemistry, by the last conversation we had with our spouse, by what happened to us at school that day, uh, by how the Dow Jones Industrial Average is doing or our sports team is doing or or not doing. Happiness is always determined by a hundred variables beyond our control. But the fruit of the Spirit that is called joy is something else altogether. Um, it is not disrupted, at least as easily. It is not wrecked by the vagaries of human nature or others' behaviors or, or even what's happening in, in the self. We may want to, to, to live for happiness, right? We may want to live for good feelings and times in the sun and corona moments and all those things, Right? I mean, who of us doesn't at times want? Because these things are good. These, these quiet, wonderful moments, they're part of the gracious gift of God in our lives. But, but if we're going to live through this world, which throws a lot of storms at us and gives us a lot of these chippy moments in life, we've got to reach for something that steadies us, that, that's more dependable than happiness. And that more dependable thing is joy. The kind of joy the Bible is talking about is something else altogether. Now, if you remember nothing else I'm going to say today, please remember this. And if you see that already the person next to you is, has lost focus, they've drifted off slightly because the preacher is more boring than usual today, just gently wake them up and say, Don't, you won't want to miss this because this is, this is important. Joy, Christian joy, is is far less a feeling that comes upon us than an attitude we choose. Okay? Joy is not just a feeling we sort of wait to come at us. It is an attitude we get to choose. We can all choose. Um, Joy is that rich, confident state of the soul that that grows up within us when we make the decision, the choice, to approach life's trials by changing our perspective on them in some key ways that I want to talk about before letting you go today. The first is suggested by a a, a great confession that a guy named um, uh, B. Howland made in, in a book I read some time ago. This is what he says. For a long time, it said, it seemed to me that life was about to begin you ever feel that you know it's going to begin it's not yet the kind of life I want it's not here yet but life's going to start when this thing happens when this thing is behind me for a long time he said it was like life was about to begin real life but but there was always some obstacle in the way There was always something to be got through first. Some kind of unfinished business. Some time still to be served. Some debt yet to be paid. Then life would begin. Until one day, it dawned on me. These obstacles were my life. Do you get that? You know, I remember those days. You know, when I finally get out of the house and I get to college, then life begins. You know, when I finally get a job after college, when I, when, I, when, I, when I when I finally get married, when I finally get kids, when I when I, when the kids then are are not just creating chaos, they've they've gone to school, thank goodness. When these are the obstacles that are in my way, then my life begins. How many of us keep waiting? for that day. Because these obstacles, they seem like these discordant chords in the music that we want to hear. They seem to be these sounds blocking us. We postpone stepping out sometimes on the risky dance floor of relationship. We postpone making the deep commitment to following Christ that we might otherwise make. We we wait to pursue the dreams that we have because we're just waiting for the real music of life to begin. But friends, the music, it's playing. It's playing. And, and these trials, these tough things that you're facing and that, I'm, that I deal with, um, they are chords in the melody of the real life that God is giving us. God wrote the music this way. He, he, he intended it to be this way. In his wise, tough love, God allows us to go through these seasons of stress, these stanzas of struggle, as it were, that we would never have chosen for ourselves because they call up inside of us passions and, uh, and insights that change us in critical ways that make us better people and which prepare us for something else that lies later on in the score, in the journey uh, of our lives. I I know I think of times of crisis in my own family or in my workplace when I just was shaking my fist at God. Lord, why are you letting this happen? Do you not see how much this is messing things up? How is wrecking what could be going on, what could be happening. And I, I, I've never heard him say it audibly, but I honestly believe this is what he says to me in these moments. Dan, don't you see that you need these things to bring about changes in you, to, to shape a different kind of character in you and prepare you for the opportunities of the days to come. As James reminds us here, God has a very much more impressive agenda for us than to make us happy. James says that God's number one agenda for you and your life and my life is to make us mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that, what? You may be mature and complete. And not lacking in anything, prepared in every way for whatever comes your way. So here's the deal: God has this dream that we will become even more impressive people than we already are. That we will be the kind of people over time who will start to view the obstacles in our life as opportunities to, to trust where others might be doubting, to give where others are are holding tight. To to, to love where other people are defending. To build up where other people are tearing down. To admit our failures where other people are denying or lying about these things. In other words, God actually thinks. This is pretty audacious. He actually thinks we could become like Him. People able to face whatever came and dance in the dark. How would you like to be a person like that? How many of you would like to be a person like that? Well, to become a person like that, to develop that kind of ripened fruit of Christian character that joy is, you can't just read a couple of good self-help books. You can't just um, go to listen to a preacher talk at you. Uh, You can't attend... uh, a Tony Robbins seminar or somebody else's kind of weekend uh, proposal, and, and and wind up walking out mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Okay, that just doesn't work that way. You know that, and I know that. There's only one route to the kind of joyful character that can make of life a dance and not a dirge, and that route, as James reminds us again in this passage, goes by the word perseverance. Say that one out loud with me. Perseverance. That is the pathway. That is the pathway to great character. I love a story that that Tim Hansel tells in his marvelous book, Holy Sweat. Isn't that a great title? Holy Sweat. And and he shares this story of a a boy, it's a true story, of a generation or, or so ago who one day accidentally poured gasoline instead of kerosene on a, on a stove, on a uh, fire in the in the small house or schoolhouse where he was, and, you know, it was just blammo. I mean, it was just, it was Michael Bay-style pyrotechnics, right? And uh, the boy was just profoundly injured, and it was a miracle the kid lived. Uh, and the doctors, um, you know, we're urging the parents because the kid's lower body was so severely damaged. His, his legs were pretty much just hamburger. They were broken. And, just, and the doctor said, we got to amputate. And the parents said, please, just give him one day. Not yet, not yet. Just one day. And the next day come and the doctors said, no, now we really, I mean, we really need to do some severe opera." And the parents said, one more day. One more day. And those one more days just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming Till finally months later they were ready to take off the bandages around the boy's legs and then took off the wrappings around them and they discovered to their absolute chagrin that um, the boy's left leg was now two inches shorter than the right leg and he had lost pretty much all of the toes on the, on the right foot. And, and the doctor said, he's never going to walk. Your boy's not going to walk. But with perseverant effort, the boy walked. And then they said, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. He's never going to walk without crutches or a walker or with a cane. And there again, the boy just kept persevering. The parents kept persevering with him. And in time, that kid left the crutches behind. In fact, one day, he even broke into a wobbly jog. And then he began to run. I mean, Forrest Gump running. Okay? Right? He just began to run. And within several years, that boy became, that boy's name was Glenn Cunningham. He became one of the greatest runners in Olympic history. He was once called the fastest human being alive. Perseverance. Must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. How many of us right now are at that dark moment when we're inclined to give up? There's a relationship. There's a dream. Uh, there's a, an opportunity. Um, there's something in ourself that we're about to give up on. We're just so discouraged that, 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 that life has so roughly handled us. And, and I want to say to you, you're not alone. I mean, so many people before you have been in that place. Some people right around you are right there with you now. You, if you could just hear their stories. There, there, there are so many tales of people who got to a place like that in history. Martin Luther, I'm told, profoundly despaired of ever having his movement to reform the church, succeed, he was just this far from throwing in all of his chips and just saying, walking away from the table. The Reformation was never going to succeed. uh, Abraham Lincoln, most of us have been brought up with these stories. He, you know, he lost election after election. He lost children. He suffered profound things. He very nearly gave up public life at one point. He figured he just he was too awkward and ugly, and obviously people didn't like him. He didn't have enough to give to our country. Abraham Lincoln almost gave up. George Bernard Shaw had his first five novels rejected. <laughs> Before he was finally published, what's your story? What's your story? I can think of moments in my marriage when, when Amy or I, we just thought we are a failed couple. Right? This is not working out. Maybe we should just give up and go on. I think of moments in this life of this church. I think five, four, five years into my ministry here at this church, things were going so badly. I was thinking, I'm going to get a job on a roadside crew because I I could wave those things. I could move. I obviously can't lead people. You know, I just was so discouraged that I just wanted to pack it in. Some of you are in that place right now in your life. And here's what I'm saying to you. Here's what God, I think, is saying to you. Maybe why you were brought here today. Persevere. Okay, These trials, they're not obstacles. They're preparation. They're meant to do a work on you and in you and then eventually through you if you just hang in there, if you just reach out and take hold of the support of others around you in these days to come. Amy Carmichael, the great Catholic theologian, once made this confession for herself. She said, sometimes... When we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors, the the Glenn Cunninghams of this world, the Martin Luthers, etc., we feel almost despondent. I feel that I shall never be like that. But then I remember that they won through step by step by little bits of will, by little denials of self, little inward victories, by faithfulness in very little things. They became what they are, says Carmichael. No one sees these little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishment. But even so, those small steps were taken because there is no sudden triumph. There is no sudden spiritual maturity. That is always the work of the moment. Could this be what Jesus meant? When he said that with faith, persevering faith in the power of God, he could do things far more beyond what we might ask or imagine. Could this be what Jesus meant when he said, all you need is a seed, a little seed, a mustard seed that you plant faithfully, that you water and tend day by day, and it can grow into the largest tree of the field. Could this be the kind of hope when Jesus said that Jesus was talking about when he said that even death itself, it's just a doorway to an even larger experience of my life. Could this be the reason from the first to the last breath of human life, his life, with every wind of Christ's spirit since then, he has called his followers to keep on daring to dance in the midst of the dark. I don't know, maybe so. But here's the, here's the thing I do know. It will make a difference if, brothers and sisters, you and I consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Because we know that the testing of our faith, it produces what? Perseverance, that's right. And perseverance must finish its work, the Bible says. Why? What's that work? So that we might be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Please pray with me. God, if we've just um, if we've just settled um, for this notion that, that that the successful life is about happiness, uh, thank you, thank you. I guess for sending us the the trials and the troubles that that can teach us more. Help us, Lord to face the things that we're facing now or that are coming up over the next horizon with an attitude of hope, with an eagerness to learn what you would teach us, with a commitment to keep persevering so that we are able to become not just regular people but the kind of remarkable people of maturity and grace that this world needs. So hear our prayers this day because we pray in the name of Jesus, saying together, Amen.